Thank you for tuning into the Schwartz Text. I'm Lisa Quintero, Young Adult Librarian. And I'm Lizzie Jelly, Virtual Engagement Librarian. This is a show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, listening to, or watching. So, um, Lizzie is a new voice here. Lizzie, would you like to tell us uh, how long you've been at the library and what exactly you've been doing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty new here at the library, actually. I just started on June 1st, so this is, what, month three that I'm just <laughs> rounding off? Feels great. Feels like I've been here much longer than that. Um, Yeah, but I am the virtual engagement librarian, so I'm responsible for a lot of our online presence. I do a lot of our social media, and I work with a lot of our virtual programming as well. Very cool. So I invited Lizzie to join me on the show on Stacks and be my co-host, and she very graciously agreed. (laughs) And um, so this is our first episode together, and we're going to be talking to you about horror. Uh, It's kind of funny because... I love horror, and when I when I said, hey, Lizzie, you want to do horror? Um, <laughs> I was a little hesitant, that's for sure, because I am a big baby when it comes to anything scary. But I did it, and I'm glad that I did. Yeah, and you know, hopefully this will bring in a couple different perspectives. So you, if you're not a horror person, maybe you'll find some stuff that you might want to check out. Or if you are a horror person, maybe you'll see a different perspective. So, all right, so we're going to start talking about movies that we watched. Gretel and Hansel was one of the ones that I watched. Um, and Gretel and Hansel is basically a retelling of Hansel and Gretel, the fairy tale. And it is, it came out in 2020. And it was really interesting because in it, uh, I don't remember in the fairy tale if Gretel was older or not. Mm. But in the, I feel like in the fairy tale, they were like the same age or they weren't that much different in age. But anyway, in the movie, she's like a teenager and he's like a like eight year old. And their mom has like this mental break after their dad dies and kicks them out of the house and so they end up in the woods and um they encounter this strange man who tells them he gives them like a place to stay for the night and tells them that if they keep heading west they'll find the foresters and they can join the foresters and like make a life for themselves because otherwise they're just gonna come to a bad end um and so they head off into the woods and the woods of course are very creepy and they find this house and they like they notice inside the window like Hansel's looking in the window, but there's this gigantic feast on the table. (laughs) And uh, they're starving because they've been walking in the woods for days. They have no food. And Hansel figures out how to get into the house. Like he breaks in through the window and like opens the door for his sister. You know, Gretel comes in, they start eating. And then this old woman shows up and she's supposed to be, you know, the witch from the, the story. But it takes a little bit of a different turn because actually in this version, um, the witch sees powers in Gretel that Gretel does not see in herself. And uh, Gretel kind of starts to explore her powers and she kind of becomes a witch as well. And then, of course, you know, the witch tries to eat them or mm-hmm. tries to eat. She doesn't try to eat them. She tries to eat uh, Hansel because or she wants Gretel to eat Hansel oh. because she... There's like this this legend that that uh, Gretel tells Hansel about this little girl who went off into the woods and she you know grew up to be a witch and and so they're like well is this that lady I don't know um, and so it turns out that that little girl was real but this isn't that lady grown up um, that lady is the little girl's mother and she Whoa. ate her because <laughs> <Whoa. laughs> she's like she was stealing my power and I had to eat her and if you want to you know take in your full power you have to eat your brother. And, like, Gretel absolutely refuses. She's like, nope. And um, so it takes a different twist at the end because 
she, you know, basically is like, I'm going to decide my own story. Also, spoiler alert, I kind of <laughs> gave away the ending. Um, <laughs> but it uh, it wasn't like super, super scary. It was, it was a very slow moving movie. Lots of cool ambiance, uh, really neat shots of the woods, um, and more of a more of a psychological thriller than like jump scares or anything like that. So, what was one of the movies that you watched? <laughs> Absolutely, that sounds really good. Actually, something that even I would be interested <laughs> in. Um, yeah, the first one that I watched, I went way old school and watched The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which came out in 1920. Actually. Okay. Um, some people consider it one of the first horror movies. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's start at the beginning. Let's mm-hmm. see how I do. Um, so this is a German expressionist film. It's had a handful of remakes since it first came out. The most recent one was in 2005. And there was also a BBC radio adaptation of it in 2008. Oh. Which is interesting because it was a silent movie oh. when it came out. Okay. So I would love to hear that. Haven't listened to it yet. Um, but it's a really wild film, for lack of a better word. Um, it's told as a frame story, so a lot of it's told as a flashback by our main character, Francis, and it follows Dr. Caligari, who's a hypnotist who kind of comes into town, goes to the fair, this like cranky old man who looks kind of wild, is like all disheveled, and he has a sleepwalker that he controls, and then he puts on a little show at the village, and the villagers get to like ask the sleepwalker questions, and the sleepwalker, whose name is Cesare, predicts one of their death and he's like you will die before sunrise and everybody freaks out and they're Mm -hmm. like whoa how does he know (laughs) Um, but lo and behold he turns out to be right the guy is brutally murdered that night and that sets off a string of brutal murders in the town francis gets really suspicious he's like you know what i bet it's dr caligari and his sleepwalker cesare Mm -hmm. so he starts to spy on them and while he's away spying on them cesare so it's a little trap puts a dummy in his own coffin and then goes to francis's house and kidnaps his fiance Jane. Okay. Runs away. It's a whole thing. They end up chasing him down. Much chasing, much struggle, that kind of thing. And they realize that Dr. Caligari isn't who he says he is okay. from the beginning. He's actually the, what's it called? The director of an asylum nearby. And oh. Cesare is one of the patients. And apparently this isn't the first time that Dr. Caligari has done this kind of experiment. Oh. <laughs> so they end up chasing him down because he snuck away and uh-huh. all of that little hubbub. He's like, well, time for me to split. <laughs> he runs out of there. But they catch him and he ends up an inmate at his own asylum. And Cesare ends up unfortunately dead. Not a huge spoiler, but uh-huh. I won't spoil the end since it is a frame story. Uh-huh. It does flash back to the present. Uh-huh. And we meet Francis again in the present day. And he's not quite who he said he was from the beginning. But it's definitely worth a watch. It's a little weird and it's very um, kind of like you mentioned with Hansel and Gretel. It's very atmospheric. Mm. It's um, German expressionism. So it takes a lot from the expressionist movement where the background and the set really mirrors this emotional reaction to society and to the world. So it's all very like twisted and warped and unnatural. And it's all like painted Uh instead of being real and we see some of the characters as they start to descend further and further from humanity they really blend into that background Uh there's this this really great scene where cesare is sneaking into um francis's house and he's like slinking along the wall and you don't even see him at first you Uh just see like this blank kind of screen and then suddenly out of nowhere you see his little face and you're like oh my gosh that's a person (laughs) but it's really cool how they did that with like the makeup and like early kind of special effects really to get that kind of Cesare becoming that twisted, unnatural landscape. 
Yeah, it was really cool. I really liked it. And it's really interesting to watch it now, basically 100 years on, because it has a lot to do with, like, post-war disillusionment happening at the time and also a lot of, like, anti-authoritarian attitudes. Okay. It's wild. It's really interesting. But it is a silent movie, Uh and all of the intertitles are in German. Okay. So you need to find it with subtitles, but luckily it is on Hoopla with okay. English subtitles. Very good. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. That sounds interesting. It's um, really cool, but it's weird. Yeah, yeah. I know, like, I've, I remember there was an exhibit at the Milwaukee Art Museum a few years ago on German Expressionism, and they had a bunch of different films playing in that. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of them look really interesting. I kind of want to go and revisit some of them because I've never seen a lot of them. So, Cool. All right, so my other movie that I watched was Relic, which also came out in 2020, and that one stars Emily Mortimer. Um, And it's also kind of a a psychological thriller. That one had a little bit more jump scares. Um, It is about this elderly woman uh, in, I think it's supposed to take place in, like, England. Or no, actually, they're in Australia. Yeah, now that I remember, I was like, it's it's England. (laughs) No, no, they're in Australia. They're in Australia, Um, and this elderly woman goes missing and she is Emily Mortimer's mother. And so Emily Mortimer and her daughter come looking for their mother or their grandmother who lives by herself. Um, you know, they do the search through the woods and everything and, and they look around the house and there's all these notes. So there's like signs that her mother was trying to develop dementia. Okay. So, you know, but there are all these like cryptic notes where um, her mother like wrote things like, I'm not alone. Ooh, um, or sweet. like... <laughs> Or like, you know, he left because of this or something, you know, like just weird yeah. notes, like not just like, this is where the remote is. <laughs> <laughs> right, like a little unnerving. I mean, there's some like do the laundry, you know, but it's, and then so that's what kind of interesting because, you know, there's like normal notes so that you yeah. would, might do to remind yourself of things. But then there's all these other ones that are kind of unnerving. And so then the, the mother shows back up again, the elderly woman, and she doesn't know where she's been. And, you know, they ask her and they take her to the doctor and. Um, you know, she's like, she's fine. And then, um, the doctor like, is like, you know, she doesn't seem to be hurt, but they don't do like a really full examination. Mm -hmm. And then the, uh, Emily Mortimer is like helping her mom get dressed and notices she's got this big bruise on her chest. And so she's like, what happened? You know? And, and her mom is like, I don't, I don't know. Nothing happened. I'm fine. Um, and so it kind of has a little bit of like the exorcist vibe because there's like a scene where the elderly woman comes downstairs and is talking to her daughter and she just like starts urinating on herself. Oh, no, and, like, yeah. So it's kind of sad because it, it, you know, it really covers kind of life with somebody with dementia. Absolutely. Um, but then Emily Mortimer starts seeing things and you start, you start seeing like these like shadow people Ooh. and like there's this like weird closet and, um, the granddaughter uh, is like, you know, Grandma, I'll, I'll come and live with you. You know, I don't want you living by yourself anymore. And, and Emily Mortimer goes back to, I um, can't remember what big city they, I think they're like near Queensland in Australia. Okay. They go, she goes back to whatever big city they're nearby because she's like looking for a home to put her mother in. And um, her daughter's like, no, I don't want us to put Grandma in a home, so I'll just move in with her. And so she's kind of exploring around the house and she discovers this closet and the closet has this weird like mold growing on the side and so this becomes like a recurring thing throughout the movie like we start to see this mold just growing in different patches of the house interesting and then towards the end of the film um the granddaughter kind of gets lost in this labyrinth because the closet just kind of goes on and on and on and um 
it felt like it was supposed to be a take on what it might feel like to actually have dementia and then the fear of like someday having it because like she's trying to get out of this labyrinth and every door and everything that she touches like it just nothing opens and the world just kind of slowly shrinks Mm. in on her um and i won't i won't spoil the (laughs) ending for this one (laughs) but uh but yeah, it was it had a lot of good creep factor, but also, you know, a lot of realistic elements. Um as somebody who has had somebody in their life with dementia, like it is very scary for I think the person who has it, and then also for like, you know, loved ones, because yeah, like people don't remember things and they you know, they misremember things. There's a scene in the movie where uh the grandmother gives the granddaughter a ring, and then later on the grandmother sees the ring on on her granddaughter's finger and is like why are you stealing from me? I didn't give that to you, you know, so kind of that sort of stuff. So it had a, a like, kind of emotional gut punch feeling to that. Um, But it was, it was good. It was creepy. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And like the decay of the, Uh oh, yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. All right. So what was the other movie that you watched? Yeah. So I went definitely a different direction than my first movie. (laughs) And I watched The Craft for my second movie. I hadn't seen it before, so it was really Mm -hmm. exciting because I'm really into, like, kind of supernatural stuff, less Mm -hmm. horror. So I was like, oh, wow, why haven't I watched this before? Was it the original or the the new one? The original. Okay, cool. Yes, Yes. I didn't know there was a remake either (laughs) until last week. So I was like, whoa, I got to check this out. Yeah, so So, Nev Campbell, Ferruja Balk, yes, all those ladies. It was incredible. Came out in 1996. It's not available at Shorewood, but it's at a bunch of other libraries Mm -hmm. in the system, which is great. Um, as Lisa already mentioned, it has first of all, because Nancy, whose performance is iconic. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, I was just chills the whole time. Um, and the sequel, The Craft Legacy, just came out in 2020. And we do have that here at Shorewood. Mm-hmm. So I will be checking that out. So you'll have to wait two weeks if you want to check it out yourself, because <laughs> I will have it. Um, I haven't watched it yet, but I know that first of all, comes back for okay. an appearance in it, which is the big draw uh-huh. for me. Um, a little bit about the movie, uh, stars teen... Uh, not stars, but that follows Sarah Bailey, who's a teen who moves to L.A., kind of had a troubled past, becomes friends with a group of three girls um, who are kind of outcasts. And, like, you know, the popular boys are like, oh, yeah, you know, the witches, kind mm-hmm. of as a joke. Um, turns out it's not a joke. <laughs> they actually are witches. And they want Sarah to become their fourth after Bonnie, one of the other girls, sees her levitate a pencil in class. So they become biggest thieves super, super quick. They start to do little spells together. Um, because when they have four, they become this complete coven. So they're like all powerful, can do all kinds of things. And they work together to cast these spells that like benefit each of them in turn. Mm -hmm. So we get to see them kind of all get their revenge in a kind of way. Like we see Rochelle try to get revenge on some bullies that have been like really racist towards her for much of the movie. We see Nancy cast a spell to try to get more power after dealing with an abusive stepfather for a long time. And Sarah casts a love spell on a guy named Chris who she really liked, went on a date with, and then he spread a rumor that they had sex and it was like a whole thing. Mm -hmm. And she was like, why would you do that? I thought you liked me. Um, So she puts a love spell on him because she thinks it would be one kind of funny too. She actually likes this guy. Mm -hmm. And then we see Bonnie who casts kind of a beauty spell to try to remove some of the burn scars that are on her body. The spells work arguably too well. (laughs) Um, They get... So, so good. Bonnie starts to become really obsessed with her appearance and Rochelle's bully starts to lose all of her hair because Rochelle's hair was one of the things that um, she would bully. And we see Nancy gets really um, 
really, really powerful and starts to get really consumed by that power. And oh, before I get too far into Nancy's story, Sarah's little love spell on Chris makes him absolutely obsessed with her. <laughs> um, like He's like a lost puppy following her around, but gets so obsessed he starts to become kind of aggressive and it gets really scary really fast. Um, this all starts to spiral out of control and it ends up with them all at a party. Nancy gets mad that Sarah is there without her shows up and actually kills Chris in like a jealous kind of a rage because she had like a history with him where he'd wronged her in the past as well. And it's wild. Sarah gets really mad, tries to bind Nancy in her power, doesn't work. Coven turns on her and starts to really harass her with some of her worst fears. And I think that was the scariest part for Uh me. And she's like in the house and they send like hordes of like snakes and insects and all kinds of stuff to scare her. And I'm like, no, thank you. Don't like that. (laughs) Um, so if you are a bit of a scary baby like me, that's a bit of a scary part of the movie. But it's worth the watch. It's worth powering through that. Um, and Sarah eventually finds enough power to stop the girls and takes on the same power that Nancy did, but is successful and doesn't get warped in that process and ends up successfully binding Nancy and stopping her from hurting anybody else. And also, wait, hold on. I'll reveal the end if I go any further. But... <laughs> Anyway, Sarah comes out on top is all you need to know. But there's like a cool little twist at the end. And that ending scene is just iconic. And the soundtrack is so good. If you love kind of like 90s grunge music, it's well worth a watch. And it's really good if you're into like, I don't know, I would argue it's almost kind of a feminist horror film. It's Mm -hmm. watching kind of girls get revenge on people who have wronged them and trying to like write the systemic things in the world. But doesn't exactly go according to plan, but it's still really cool to watch. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching it in um, junior high was when it came out. Oh, and, sure. Um, I remember really being drawn to that whole, like, sisterhood, like, they have all bonded. And then I remember getting upset when they, like, you know, kind of start fighting with each other. Right, Because I was yeah. just like, we're supposed to work together. <laughs> I thought you were coming. No, that's real. Apparently, a big drive in why the movie was so successful when it first came out, because I looked up a little history, is it was a lot of teens and a lot of young women that were uh-huh. like, yes, this is the what we want. Uh-huh. And then they weren't super happy with how it ended. But yeah. that whole sisterhood draw and like, oh, yeah, best friends practicing witchcraft, getting what they want, getting their revenge, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and like getting power when like they don't have much power in their yeah, lives. Yeah, absolutely, and, reclaiming that. Yeah, yeah, I remember for a little bit, they're like going to the library and looking up all these books on Wicca and like believing that like, <laughs> yes. I'm, like I can do this too and then being like, wait, no, that's, like once you like actually start going into the occult section of your library and looking at things, it's just like getting a bunch of herbs and drinking a lot of tea <laughs> looking at the moon and you're just like, wait, this is not what I was expecting. And then suddenly you've adopted a cat and yeah. Where are these blood packs? <laughs> wait a second I thought I could walk on water like Nancy did all I have are jars of water all around my house (laughs) it's still really really cool though and I can see why they remade it because a lot of that kind of uh, new age witchcraft stuff is really making a resurgence in the past couple years so it's I'm excited to watch the sequel yeah yeah I'm looking forward to it I haven't seen the sequel yet either but yeah I really enjoyed the first one I actually revisited it a few years ago and it still held up. It was oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I thought it held up really well for being, you know, over twenty years old. I was yeah. like, wow. This still tracks actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right, well let's move on to some books. Um, so I read The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Uh, Stephen Graham Jones is a native author, and this book is about a group of four friends who live on a reservation, I believe, in uh, Oklahoma. And Uh, One Thanksgiving, they go out hunting, and they go out hunting on the elders' land, and they're not supposed to hunt on the elders' land. It's just for the elders. And um, they're just, like, 
you know, nobody knows, like, it's right. fine, we're just going to do this thing. And they come across this herd of elk, and there's, like, 20 of them, and they just kind of stumble on them. And they've been drinking a bit, and they're just like, it's almost Thanksgiving, we're just going to go all out. And so they just start shooting, just, oh, no. like, instead of, like, you know, because they're, like, you know, traditionally we've been taught just to, like, hunt for what we can actually carry and stuff, and they just they just go kind of crazy, and they kill the whole herd. Um, and Lewis, who's one of the group, he ends up shooting this uh, female elk, and she doesn't die. Mm. And he shoots her again, and, like, she still doesn't die. She's still, like, fighting him. And he shoots her again and, like, basically blows her head into. And then she finally, you know, is kind of struggling, but she's... And, and he... Um, ends up like killing her by like stabbing her. Um it's a very gruesome, yeah. gruesome scene in the book. Um and then he realizes as he's because he feels guilty for how much she fought him, because the they're like stuck in the the truck is stuck in the snow and so they're like, we're just gonna take haunches because once they've killed every every elk, they're like, what are we gonna do? Like we can't there's no way we can fit twenty elk in a truck. Like <laughs> we're just gonna like cut off their legs and this is gonna be, you know, happy Thanksgiving to us and you know, and so his friends are all busy doing that, and he feels so guilty about how much this elk fought him that he um, starts to dress her, and t- you know, he starts mm-hmm. to, like, do her whole her whole body because he's like, I can't leave any bit of her behind. And as he's cutting her apart, um, he sees, like, wiggling in her belly and realizes mm-hmm. that she was pregnant, um, and so she was fighting for, you know, not just her life, but the life of her baby, and... Um, and so then it flashes forward 10 years, um, and he has moved away from the reservation. He met a white woman. They got married. He moved off to, like, Minneapolis, became a postal worker. Um, and uh, before that, we get kind of like a, a little side story of one of his other friends being at a bar and mysteriously dying. Oh. Um, and so then, yeah, we get this, this flash forward to 10 years later. Um, and Lewis starts seeing visions of this elk again. And he has her hide in his freezer because he meant to, like, turn it into leather sure. and do something with it because he just he still feels bad about it. Um, and what he ended up doing with all of the meat that he got from hers, he ended up giving it away to elders. And elders, because um, he's like, you know, this belongs to them. We did this wrong thing. Like, mm-hmm. I should give it back to the elders. And so he wraps it up in all these paper packages. But he doesn't, like, the only thing that he has to stamp the packages is, like, a little raccoon paw stamp that his sister oh. had and so every all these elders think that it was like raccoon meat that like oh, no. <laughs> that okay. he gave them and so i guess the whole like like there's like a whole mystical element to it and they're like you know if all the elders ate her then things would be he would be redeemed sure. but you know he figures that at some point some elder probably was like this is raccoon meat and threw it away and so she wasn't completely you know used um and so he starts seeing her and um, he, his like dog dies in this very gruesome way because oh, no. um, his dog like keeps like running away and like he's like, she's come for me, she's come looking for me. And then there's this woman who starts working with him at the post office and he thinks that she is the elk like reincarnated into a woman. Oh, and then he like ends up like killing her. And then um, he ends up getting as he he like decides he's going to head back to the reservation. And as he's heading back to the reservation, he ends up getting killed. And so then like the story continues with the other two friends who are left as this like elk continues because it's like you find out that like, oh, like this elk is kind of 
does come back in like human form and is like a shapeshifter and is like hunting them one by one. Um, it's very creepy. Yeah. Um, very like a lot of magical realism in it. Um, a lot of uh, you know stuff about indigenous traditions, um, like the scene where they're building a sweat lodge, but they're building it out of like old sleeping bags and things like that. Right. Yeah. And, um, it kind of deals a lot with the the like difference between native culture versus you know white American culture and um, you know the the title is the only good Indians and and the rest of that statement is like the only good Indian is a dead Indian um, and so it uh, it kind of talks a little bit about what what makes a person good versus bad and like there's just it's really interesting it made me think yeah. a lot um, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, that and sounds fascinating. I'm Attention. interested to read some of his other books. And it was, it made me curious as to whether the author, I mean, he doesn't have to be, but whether the author's like a vegetarian because it's like no, an animal comes that. back and this animal's like going to kill you all. Absolutely, yeah. That's... <laughs> um, and he talks about like different people being vegetarian, but then he also talks about like, you know, the native people, like like some of the native guys like looking down on vegetarians, but then some of the native people being vegetarian. And so yeah, you know, kind of, like what's what's native, what's white, um, these intersections of culture, you know, what what is um, acceptable, what isn't. Like, is Lewis the first one to, like, one of the questions that it kind of asks is, like, is Lewis the first one to really see her and, and everything because he left the the reservation with this white woman, you know, and, and all yeah. that, so. That sounds yeah. fascinating, yeah. actually. A lot of tension in there, and also really gruesome to read yes, as a very vegetarian. Um, <laughs> wow. But... Wow, that sounds really interesting. Do yeah. we know if the author is indigenous? Yes, he is. Oh, yep. excellent, yep. excellent. Wow. Yeah, and I guess he writes a lot of horror, and so I'm oh, curious cool. about some of his other books. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, he, I guess, won the Best Work of Fiction from the Texas Institute of Letters. Um, he's won the Bram Stoker Award. Uh, he's won the Shirley Jackson Award for some of his books. Oh, excellent. Um, and he's apparently highly he decorated. teaches English at the University of Colorado in Boulder. So. Wow. He's a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. What did you well, nothing quite that scary, actually. <laughs> that sounds pretty grim in a lot of ways, but really interesting. I read an anthology of ghost stories mm-hmm. compiled by Audrey Niffenegger, um, who some of you might know as the author of The Time Traveler's Wife. Mm-hmm. Um, she's written a few other things. She's also done, that I didn't know, she's done so quite a few graphic novels, and okay. she's actually a well-decorated artist and printmaker. Oh, I which didn't know that either. I didn't either, yeah. but it was really cool to pick this up because this is an anthology that she put together, not necessarily because they're the best uh-huh. ghost stories, but because they're her favorite okay. ghost stories, which is really important context because they're not super diverse uh-huh. in terms of the author. They're diverse in the time they were written. Mm-hmm. And there's also, um, she makes a note of this in the introduction of the anthology as well, which I think is really important to read if you are going to pick up this anthology because she includes a lot of works by people who have some really um, not great attitudes towards women and mm-hmm. some pretty colonial views in their older stories. Like Richard Kipling is in here and mm-hmm. his is pretty... I didn't make it all the way through it. I'll say that much. <laughs> okay. um, but it's a really great anthology in some other ways in that it includes a lot of modern ghost stories as well. It talks about what it means to be a ghost story, what ghost stories need to have as a genre um, without getting super into the nitty gritty of what that means. Uh-huh. But it's really interesting that she's an artist because for every story that she includes, she also did an illustration oh, to cool. go with it. And so you get this kind of print alongside of her interpretation visually of uh-huh. that ghost story. And she does like a little 
maybe two to three sentence introduction of why she likes it, why she picked it, mm-hmm. which is also really cool to read as you go through because you get to see why these are her favorite stories as an author and as an author of other kind of like spooky paranormal works. Yeah. So it's really cool. Um, and it's a lot of, um, since it's ghost stories, it's less jump scares and more like kind of atmospheric horror and a lot of like kind of gothic melancholia comes through and a lot of it's more about haunting and so it's really emotional to read and there's a lot of like loving depictions of loss Uh in this as well so it was really really different than what I expected in a lot of ways but it was really cool um couple big things that come out obviously haunting and the way that like spaces still hold energy after we leave there's a lot of haunted houses haunted objects and haunted cats especially make an appearance multiple times (laughs) it's really cute actually that was one of my favorite stories actually was one that the author included, Audrey Niffenegger, her story called Secret Life with Cats. Uh-huh. And it's all about her and her friend who unexpectedly dies. And it's based off of like a real friendship that she had, although it gets a little more paranormal than her uh-huh. real one. And how they met working at an animal shelter and were always around cats. Her friend who died leaves her for house, um, but they never find her body. Uh-huh. They just like tell her that she dies. And so the main character goes to the house of her friend and is like, I know she had cats. Where are they? Uh-huh. I don't see them. Uh-huh. She's there and she'll see like a little flash here, a little flash there. And then mm-hmm. after leaving her husband, moving into the house full time, because it's a whole thing, um, she finally starts to see the cats. Uh-huh. And the cats lead her to the basement where they find her friend, <gasps> um, who is not alive anymore. <laughs> um, you know, there's like those, uh, this is grim. But where people talk about, like, you know, if you die alone, your pets will eat you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those kind of stories. Okay. <laughs> so it's pretty grim. But it's, like, really interesting because the cats can, like, express their feelings. And they're, like, talking or telling her why they did it. Because okay. they wanted to, like, keep her there uh-huh. instead of having her taken away. And it's really wild. It's only, like, 12 pages. But every page I was like, oh, my gosh, where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. It was interesting. It wasn't scary. It was more just, like, kind of... Creepy, I uh, guess is a good word for it. So as a person who has cats, are you worried that they're going to do that to you now? <laughs> Honestly, I'm well aware. But also there's so many escape routes in my house. I'm like, no, they'll just go. They'll go. But it makes you think. And cats come up because Edgar Allan Poe's story, what's it called? The Black Cat, uh-huh. is in this as well. So cats are a real recurring thing. Okay. But like in a loving way. Yeah. A lot, I think cats get a bad rap yeah, in yeah, scary yeah. stories. But it, they're loving depictions for mm-hmm. the most part. And there's a big black cat on the cover of the anthology as well. Uh-huh. And in a lot of the illustrations. But my other favorite one was an older story from the 1930s by Edith Wharton. It's called The Pomegranate Seed. And it was really a slow burn, kind of like Victorian feel almost, Mm -hmm. where it's like, it kind of reminded me of, if you've read The Yellow Wallpaper, Mm -hmm. right? And like feeling like trapped in a marriage, constantly questioning everything, trapped in a house, because it follows a woman and her husband getting these like mysterious gray letters in the mail that she can't read. Like she gets to the point where she actually like, opens one up to tries to read it, and she can't physically read it because she doesn't know the handwriting. Uh And she ends up going to her mother-in-law about it, her husband's mother, and she, like, sees the handwriting and goes pale because she's like, that's from his dead first wife. Oh, Jesus. It's wild. (laughs) So wild. And the husband's like, please, I promise I love you. Like, there's nothing like that. I'm not cheating on you. And she's like, that's a woman's handwriting. You're cheating on me. Uh Which is a whole other thing about how handwriting is gendered. But it's from the 1930s, and you kind of see that coming through but it's really it's a slow burn story which I kind of liked Mm because you don't really know what's going on or why it's scary until like those last couple pages and Mm -hmm. suddenly like 
it's wild and you see that the letter started arriving the second she started changing the house mm-hmm. and changing what the first wife had done oh. and like the mother-in-law like looks at the wall where her picture used to hang and she's like don't look at that spot <laughs> it's wild <laughs> but that was my other favorite one so it was really cool to see some kind of women authors of horror featured uh-huh. in this anthology as well which there's quite a few um, so there's some of the newer ones, some of the older ones. The other one that I liked was a newer one called Tiny Ghosts. Uh-huh. And it's literally about little ghosts that live in your house. <laughs> and they got rid of them by like roaring at them like lions. Because they uh-huh. come out and they'd like teaser kind okay. of. They'd like come out of these little like doors. Like little gnomes or something? Kind of, yeah. yeah. But there's these like tiny like just really jerks. <laughs> and they come out and be like, you're ugly. And she's like, go away. It was. It's like only 10 pages. It's a really, really short story. But uh-huh. it's really cool to watch her kind of. Get rid of those like little voices yeah. in a way, so yeah. it's like kind of like women saying, "You know what? No, I'm not gonna listen to you anymore." Yeah, but it's it was weird. It's like the illustration that goes with it is really cute. It's like uh-huh. her in the bathtub. You just see her legs, and then there's a little door with like a little angry ghost to get out of it. <laughs> so like visually, it's really interesting. But they they were cute. Uh-huh. They were cute and loving and emotional in a lot of ways. I would recommend it if you're not really into scary uh-huh. things. If you want more kind of creepy or just a little a little spooky yeah that sounds fun yeah cool all right well let's go on to library news absolutely so in october uh we have the art cart to go is continuing on wednesdays um we also have story time on the lawn is continuing for so long as the weather cooperates on thursdays at 9 30 a.m on october 9th which is a saturday stone soup shakespeare is going to be performing hamlet out on the lawn um, we also have Family Fun Night to Go happening on Tuesday, October 12th. Um, and Rhyme Time Tuesday is happening that morning online with Miss Heidi. And then that will happen again, Rhyme Time Tuesday again, on October 26th. Uh, then we also have Tinker Lab happening on October 26th. We're going to have Sewable Circuits. And there's going to be a teen advisory board meeting that day. And then on October 28th, we have the Teen Take and Make Thursdays. And they're going to be making the No Face plushie, which No Face is a character from Hayao Miyazaki's movie Spirited Away. So cute. Um, and other than that, there's also Haley's doing the book club. So the PM book club will be on uh, Wednesday, October 6th. And the book that they are reading is Leonard and Hungry Paul by Ronan Hessian. And then October 21st is the AM book club at 11 a.m. And they are reading... The Transcendent Kingdom by Yagyasi. So yeah, check out those events on our library calendar at shorewoodlibrary.org. If you have any questions or comments for your hosts, email us at shorewoodstacks at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening and be well. Happy Halloween! Shoreward Stacks is produced and recorded by Lisa Quintero and Lizzie Jelly for the Shoreward Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. The song is called Ice Flow and can be found on incompetech.com.